Hi everyone, this is Lynn Chen from the Actors Diet podcast, and today my guest is writer Susan Orlean. Hi Susan. Hey Lynn, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm hungry, but isn't that appropriate? That is very appropriate for the topic of discussion today, which is okay. food, 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 food. food. Um, Susan, let's talk about how we met, because I usually do talk about how we met, and I think it's pretty funny how you and I were introduced, which was via social media. Oh my God. You know what? I forgot that. So you, you have to tell the story because now I, I'm forgetting. <laughs> well, basically, uh, Abe, my husband, Abe and I are both fans of yours. And I think it was Abe who was following you on Twitter and you were doing a book reading and we went to go watch you speak and you recognized Abe from his profile photo. Oh my God. That's right. That's right. Now it's coming back to me. And that's so funny. It was one of the first in real life social media connections and, and you know, the rest is history and we've been pals ever since. I know. And I've eaten with you a number of times and you are a wonderful entertainer. Thank you. <laughs> so I do want to dive a little bit into that. Um, but yeah, let's start a little bit with your history with food when you were younger. And what was your relationship with it like? Were you a picky eater? Did you love everything? Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland and um, in a family that had dinner together every night. Um, my mother was the kind of mom who made everything from scratch. So uh, we had, you know, I didn't grow up eating. Um, I mean, for me, a big thrill was a TV dinner because we just didn't have stuff like that very much. And for those of you who are too uh, adorably young to know what a TV dinner is, <laughs> they were classic 60s uh, meals that were in an aluminum tray and it had all the main course side dishes and everything and you'd stick it in the oven and we thought that was amazing because we ate meals prepared from scratch by my mom and i was a i would say a medium picky eater i mean there were i in general i ate kind of what what was presented to me and then i had categories of food that I simply would not eat. Um, I, I would not eat fruit at all. And it was something that I got ribbed ab about a lot by my family. And I was really sensitive about it. Um, and then otherwise I ate, you know, I had a real sweet tooth, which is probably pretty typical for a kid. And I kind of just ate everything and and gave no thought to it particularly you know I didn't ever think as a kid wow I've been eating a lot I should not I you know I I didn't equate eating with any result um which is kind of funny because I was sort of an average or small I mean I'm short and I was kind of always just average or small. And then once in a while, I think I wish my thighs were thin, but it never occurred to me that eating 
you know, dessert at every meal might have some effect on that outcome. I just didn't think about it. I was very, you know, in a way it was sort of a wonderful thing to be, um, untroubled and, and kind of unconscious about, about food, except for the few things that I just didn't like to eat. And also my dad loved some really like funky old school stuff like herring and we would scream and you know cringe when he would be eating herring in herring and cream sauce you know stuff that we just thought was disgusting and my mother used to cook this does sound gross um my mom used to cook beef tongue you know she was sort of an old school um I mean, she was born in Hungary and learned to cook in a very old-fashioned European kind of way. And she would cook beef tongue, which I always ate. And then one day I saw the beef tongue at the butcher when I went with my mom to pick it up. And I thought, I'm never eating that again. (laughs) Um, um, But in general, I was a a pretty – I just didn't think a lot about food. And but I, I'm so curious about when you said you weren't eating fruit, but you had a sweet tooth. Does that, that mean when you had like a piece of strawberry shortcake, you would pick the strawberries off or you were OK with yeah, it? Yeah. Um, when I was young, definitely. Uh, I just had a across the board rule about I just did not eat fruit. When did that change? Uh, let's see. I think when I was out of college, um, I started eating berries and then, um, and apples. And I'm still not somebody who eats a lot of fruit, but I, I definitely expanded my repertoire from when I was a kid, but it was out of college where I think that I was frankly, kind of embarrassed in front of friends to not eat, you know, everybody is digging into a blueberry pie and I, I tried it and thought, Oh, this is really good. I mean, basically just tastes like sugar. Um, and, but I think I was self-conscious about appearing picky at, at that age. So really up until college, you still weren't eating fruit? Yeah. Like even in high school. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was true to my convictions <laughs> and I, I really don't, you know, I can't explain it. Um, I, I really can't explain it. So it remains a mystery to me. And then, I mean, this will strike you as funny because it strikes me as funny, but I, let's see how many years ago was some years ago. I can't remember exactly when I developed a a real phobia about flying and I'd always flown without any anxiety. And then suddenly it started to bother me and I travel a lot. I travel a lot for work. I was looking at a a real issue because if I was going to be miserable every time I flew, it would really was just exhausting. I went to a hypnotist 
to deal with it, which just as a sidebar here, it was incredibly successful. While I was there, I said to him, you know, can you um, deal with food issues? And he said, yeah, I do that uh, all the time. And I said, well, I just have this inexplicable um, discomfort with eating fruit. Can you do anything about it? And I really don't know how or what he did. And it's not like I'm the girl diving into a mango, but he did tackle that in some way in, in the, the process of dealing with my fear of flying, um, which is kind of interesting. He threw I that did, in. Yeah. I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. And I think if I had gone back to him and said, this is all I want to focus on, it may have been more effective, but it was kind of a throw in last minute. So it wasn't something where I saw the same kind of results as I did with the, um, my flying issue, which really basically vanished. It was miraculous. Honestly, it was miraculous. I'm very impressed and wanted, I'm sure you've written about this experience, correct? About being hypnotized? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, I, I actually talked about it, um, are you familiar with the moth, you know, yes. which is the oral storytelling? And I, I talked about it because it, it was also kind of funny. I mean, going to hypnotist is sort of funny in its own way. And um, so I did talk about it there. I want to go to hypnotist now. Well, you know what? It was kind of amazing. It was kind of amazing. Um, I'm sort of. A, a skeptic turned zealot because something like becoming afraid to fly is a pretty intractable state of mind. And I was really, really uncomfortable. I would just be miserable. And the next, after I went through this five session treatment with him, the next time I flew as the plane was taking off, which usually was when I was having a heart attack, I turned to the friend I was traveling with and I said, you know, I think I might get a pilot's license. <laughs> and he said, whoa, I don't know what that guy did to you. And I, I mean, I was just in this crazy state of like, wow, I love to fly. This is amazing. Maybe he Pretty talked funny. you into thinking that you were a pilot. <laughs> Yeah, well, that may have been. I mean, it was kind of great. It w it really was amazing. And I can't explain it. Um, I think it's partly a perfect placebo that once you've decided to change something, sometimes that's the bigger part of the battle is simply saying, I, I'm going to change. And, um, and then it's reinforced. It was pretty incredible, frankly. Yeah. Well, just curious about what fruits you do like today then. Uh, well, as I said, I'm still not, um, I wouldn't say that I'm an avid eater of fruit, but I mean, mostly I like berries. I like apples. I like, um, I mean, I'll eat almost anything in a pie. 
Yeah. 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 Um, but who wouldn't? So, <laughs> um, I would say, uh, you know, most of all, I, I do like berries and I'll, that's something that I actually eat with a lot of enthusiasm and, and, you know, think they're delicious and I'll have them not even in a pie. That's <laughs> Which uh, to tell you the truth, it's like cheating to eat anything in a pie. Cause really what you're doing is eating a crust and something really sugary. Um, so, you know, I would eat a horse in a pie probably <laughs> exaggerating, exaggerating here, please. <laughs> um, what about tongue? Have you eaten tongue since you were a kid? Oh, oh no, 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 I haven't. And you know, it's, I mean, I eat beef, so choosing which body part you will or won't eat in a way is rather arbitrary. But as a kid, seeing those tongues and seeing them lined up and they look like tongues, you know, when you see a piece of meat uh, at a butcher shop, it doesn't look like a body part. It looks like meat and seeing a tongue freaked me out. And, you know, it was in an age where I think I was probably about 11 and I was, you know, just coming into some new sort of emotional experiences about, about a lot of stuff. But I, and at the same time, a real treat that my mother, I used to fight for my brother and sister over was marrow, you know, the marrow in bones. And, you know, people consider it an incredible delicacy. And it's something that it's just very rich and fatty. And we used to literally, you know, beg to be the one who got the marrow. And it was like, I think I must have figured out what marrow was, although I'm not sure why it's different from eating a burger, but I suddenly thought, disgusting. I'm never having marrow again. And <laughs> I have had marrow since. And it is incredibly, you know, there's a reason it's a delicacy. But um, I think the carnality of certain parts of um, eating of animals really hit me at that age and grossed me out. Did you become vegetarian at any point? No, no, um, I did not. I went for a long period where I ate very little red meat, but I would always find a way to a good steak and a good hamburger during that period of time. So I was, I just didn't eat a lot of red meat. I didn't cook a lot of it. I just, um, and it was not because I found it gross or that I thought there was anything less, uh, disturbing about eating a chicken than a cow. I, I think it was more, there was a, a realization that red meat wasn't that good for you. And so it was, a, it, it was more about the health aspect of it than any kind of animal issue. And by the way, just as an aside, um, my husband and I raise Black Angus cattle, who are beef cattle, and I have 
Um, right now I don't have any chickens, but I had chickens. Um, so I became, and this was in more recent times, but now as a part-time farmer, I have also very different feelings about what I eat and how I eat it. What inspired you to have, have animals? Well, I love animals. And when we were living full time um, on, we, we have some, uh, we have a farm in the Hudson Valley of New York and everybody has animals. It's just, you know, you've got all sorts of land and you just have animals. And one day it kind of hit me over the head that I wanted chickens, not to slaughter, but for eggs. I got chickens and I fell in love with chickens and with chicken keeping. And I went from four chickens to 10 to 12. And then I got turkeys and I got guinea fowl and I got ducks. I mean, it's really, really fun. And it's also really nice to have, I mean, when you eat an egg that is freshly laid, it's an entirely different food from an egg you get at a grocery store. And I mean, it really is amazingly delicious and different. So I got really spoiled because having fresh eggs that are so fresh that they're actually warm um, is kind of fantastic. Yeah, I was going to ask what it's like having regular eggs here in LA. Or do you only get, well, I guess you can't get them fresh from the chicken, but right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, I mean, if any, if you've ever grown your own lettuce and you make a salad with fresh lettuce that you just picked, it has a dimension and a texture and a flavor that's just can't compare to something out of a grocery store, even if it's good quality, it just tastes different. I mean, partly because Anything you get in a grocery store is is already old. I mean, it it is. So there's just a way that the flavor changes. Um, so I I can't wait to. I'm actually getting more chickens this summer, and I can't wait to go back to having those eggs because they are really good. <laughs> They're really really delicious, and you know I'll I mean you can get good eggs here, but it, it's just not the same as literally getting it out of the chicken coop. Um, you, switching gears a little bit, you mentioned earlier about how you're, you weren't very conscious of the association between food and, I guess, weight or body image and how that affected you. When were you conscious of that? That really hit me um, kind of, probably kind of late in life. And I think probably because I was always, uh, you know, my weight was always kind of just normal. And so I didn't think about it a lot. And I, I wasn't especially, I didn't pay a lot of attention to my body. Then when I was um, the year between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I got mono and I spent the summer at home in bed. I had, a, I had a pretty bad case of mono and all I did was eat chocolate pudding 
for the entire summer. (laughs) I'm only exaggerating a little. And without even thinking and without paying any attention to it, I probably gained, I don't know, 10 or 15 pounds. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but you know, I'm, I'm five two. So even gaining five pounds is a significant difference. So let's say I gained 10 pounds and I, I looked really different. My clothes didn't fit me. I came back to college and my boyfriend who hadn't seen me all summer, I realize now saw me and probably thought, Oh my God, where, where did that cute girl go? Um, and I think it was the first time that I, I really felt out of my body that this new body with this extra weight felt like a stranger to me. And I don't think that I deliberately set out to just say, Oh my God, I have to go on a diet. The fact is once I went back to eating normally and not eating chocolate pudding for every meal, I know it does sound funny, right? Um, you know, I sort of returned to my normal weight. The experience though was a kind of a light bulb going off about what it felt like to not feel good about, you know, how I looked and the impact it had in this case on my boyfriend who was really hot and all the girls loved him. And I think really was turned off by how I looked. And, and then, you know, for the next period of time, I I mean, it really, it was something that I, I don't regret that I went back to a normal weight, but it suddenly something I really never thought about, I became very aware of and started thinking about more than I wish I had. I'm wondering a little bit more about this chocolate pudding. Were they like pudding cups or were they just any type of chocolate pudding you could get your hands on? (laughs) Um, It was my mom made me chocolate pudding because I was really pretty sick and I was in bed all summer and I didn't really have much of an appetite for anything. And so and I am probably exaggerating, but whatever I wanted, my mom made for me, you know, And I think I just, that's what I wanted was chocolate pudding. And I had a lot of it. And, you know, I probably ate a bunch of junk. And, you know, I didn't say, geez, I'd like a salad. It was all, uh, you know, sweets and stuff that I was hankering for because I didn't really feel like eating anything. And I had a really sore throat. Um, which was a sort of an unusual symptom of mono, but I had a, maybe not so unusual, but I had a really, really sore throat. So I wanted only things that were really, um, you know, easy to swallow. Yeah. I picture like when people have like strep, they always say that they go on an ice cream diet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the same sort of thing. I mean, or people who have their tonsils out. So I really loved 
chocolate and my mom made me a lot of chocolate pudding and whatever it was I ate over the summer. Also, I didn't get out of bed except for kind of hobbling around the house. So I was doing nothing active and it was the perfect recipe for gaining weight and being really, you know, I, I really looked the way you would look after spending two or three months basically sitting in bed, watching TV, eating junk. And I, I mean, I look pretty miserable. Um, I also had a really bad haircut just as an aside. <laughs> like, I can't stand looking at any of those pictures. Um, from that period of time because I really looked horrible. What's your relationship with chocolate pudding now? Uh, I really like it. I never, I rarely have it. I feel like pudding is not happening in my life much <laughs> anymore. Have you ever had the avocado chocolate pudding? Have you heard of that? No, but I like the sound of it. It's basically um, avocado, cacao, um, and people usually use dates to sweeten it. So it's quote unquote healthy. And the crazy part about it is that it doesn't really taste like avocado. You can't really taste, I guess, cause avocado doesn't really taste like anything. It's just super creamy. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, I think you hear avocado and you think guacamole, but it is actually kind of neutral. Yeah. Um, I bet that's delicious. I mean, it's the other thing is that um, putting there was a period of time when I was really crazy of, and eating in a really sort of psycho way that I lived on diet jello and pudding, which you can eat a lot of that and has very few calories, more jello than pudding. And I made it a lot, you know, they're the, these sugar-free puddings and they're actually not bad, but I, I, I mean, they, they taste pretty good. I think they're probably horrible for you. Um, but I did eat a lot of them during what? that period. Oh, during that same period. Yeah, no, no. I mean, later on when I became sort of, um, I feel like I had an unhealthy obsession with losing weight and being skinny. One of my go-to foods were sugar-free jello and sugar-free pudding. And they're very low calorie and they kind of fill you up. I went through a phase like that too um, with with sugar-free pudding out of the, I didn't make it myself. I, I was that lazy and I just bought the cups. But oh, can you buy? I didn't even know you could buy it. You can, I guess, now. But um, I haven't. It's been years, at least a decade, since I've touched pudding again because I think I hate so much of it. I got really sick of the texture. Yeah, I, and now I like it. You know, it's there are a lot of restaurants that do these amazing, delicious puddings that are homemade and and they're great. But uh, every now and again, I'll buy a box of the um, make it yourself at home in two seconds, sugar free chocolate pudding, and then I never end up making it. <laughs> <laughs> I've thrown out many boxes that have come and gone in their expiration. Well, let's talk about what you do like to cook 
because I have been to your house on an occasion or two, and I love seeing what you're going to set up because it's always so much fun. And it, I always feel like I walk away with some ideas about how to entertain. So who, oh. who taught you that? And do you enjoy it? I love to entertain. I really do. And I always had, really from the time I had my own place to live, I've always had a lot of parties, a lot of people over. I, I really enjoy it. I did not know how to cook anything. I was almost the person who couldn't boil water for most of my life. And it, it's kind of an odd thing because um, my mom being a great cook and who made everything from scratch also uh, didn't teach me how to cook. Hmm. And the reason was she was sort of an autocrat about the kitchen and she just didn't, it, it's very puzzling. And even now I'm sort of fascinated by it because cooking is so much fun to do with kids, but, um, she, she was, it was her domain. And the day before I left for college, she said to me, Oh my God, I never taught you to cook or, or do laundry or anything. And I said, well, it's too late now. I went to college where, you know, you just scrounge or eat in the dorm or, you know, manage. Then I was living with my boyfriend who was a cook, knew how to cook. So he did all of our cooking. Um, then I got married. My husband had been a sous chef in a restaurant and he was a very good cook. He did all the cooking. We moved to New York City. He had a job that was very demanding and he got home late every night and we started just living on Chinese takeout. And for the first year we lived in New York, seriously, that's what we were doing. Just basically takeout, going out. And I did not know how to cook. One day I thought, I have to learn how to cook. I, I mean, we can't do this. So I went to cooking school, did a very traditional French cooking basics at a cooking school called Peter Kump. That's um, most of the people there were serious and planning to go on to be caterers or work in restaurants. And then there were a few people like me who just somehow their mom forgot to teach them how to cook. And it was uh, revelatory. I loved it. And I thought, this is really fun. You can do interesting, creative things. And I just loved it. So I went from being somebody who truly didn't know how to cook to being really excited about it and loving it, just the, even the, the sensuality of cooking. And, and, you know, I would like to think that I'm actually a good cook. That it, it, I mean, I think anyone can be a good cook once you learn the basics. Um, but it became a, a, a sort of additional part of entertaining. And I love my, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm, I'm always cooking something that has a sort of Asian um, 
overtone because I love those flavors, but I love, I kind of love cooking everything. And I really enjoy having people over. It's, I just think it's so much fun. And I look back and think, this is amazing to kind of discover that you really enjoy something like this kind of later on it then I mean it, it just strikes me as funny and my son who's 12 loves to cook oh and that's I, great I, yeah and I really encourage him to because I think first of all it's fun I mean cooking kids it's like you it's like playing in a sandbox I mean cooking is great for kids to do and secondly I don't want him to wake up the way I did you know, well into his thirties saying, Oh my God, I don't know how to cook. Um, it's bad and not to be sexist, but I think in particular, it's great for a boy to learn how to cook because, um, they should be able to cook and take care of themselves and not assume at some point that a mother equivalent will be cooking for them. As an aside, my husband did not cook at all. I, this is another husband, just for those of you keeping track at home. I, I got rid of the husband who did know how to cook. I traded for a husband who did not, he, he knew how to do a few small things, he, but he was not a cook. A year or two ago, I was working on a book and I said to him, you know, I just can't do the dinner every night. I, you've got to help out. And he kind of taught himself to cook. We, we were um, subscribing to blue apron, yeah, which is a great way to learn how to cook because it gives you these easy recipes to follow. You end up with something that seems very sophisticated. He really enjoyed it. And for the last year or so, he's done more cooking than I have um, because my time has just been too um, limited. And I think he began to really enjoy it. So it's kind of fun to see him learning how to cook. That's so great. Yeah. yeah Abe, likes, Abe likes Blue Apron too. I mean, we, we take breaks. Now and again, because if I look at a couple weeks that we're going out a lot, we have a lot of social engagements already, I just cancel it because I know we're not, we're going to come to the end of the week and think, oh God, you know, that chicken, we're going to have to throw it out. We, over the summer, we really love it because when we spend the summer at our farm with the cows and the chickens and we're pretty far from grocery stores there. So having Blue Apron delivered um, is, is a really, it's a huge help for us. That's so that amazing. We, I didn't even think about that. Oh, my God. It's, you know, it's sort of funny when you live two seconds from Trader Joe's, as we do here, having someone deliver the groceries the way Blue Apron does, it's not, it's, it, it's very convenient, but it, it doesn't, it's, not doing something that that it, that is that hard for you to accomplish on your own. When you live out in the country where you would have to drive pretty far to a grocery store, and I, I mean, 
it's a just a whole different equation when you're living in a less urban area. And for us to get these meal kits there, it was transformative. It, it just, it's fantastic. Um, so we definitely do it when we're at that. We spend the summer there and we really rely on it because it's, um, I mean, I'll give you an example. There we bought an extra big freezer because the grocery store that's closest to us closes at 7 p.m. I know this is shocking for those of us who live in urban areas where most grocery stores are open 24 hours or at the very least till 11 or, you know, they're open late. The closest grocery store shuts at 7 the next, the next closest one is like a 25 minute drive, 20, 20, 25 minutes. So if at 7.01, you suddenly remember that you didn't get food for dinner, you're kind of screwed. So we bought a big um, standalone freezer so we could keep stuff in there for those uh-oh, we forgot to go to the grocery store moments, which happens a lot. And the, you know, Blue Apron is really great for for that very reason. Yeah, and I just want to point out, this is not an ad for Blue Apron. But no, We just no. happen to really like them. Yeah, and, you know, all of the those meal kits, which are, uh, there are a lot of them, and they're they're pretty cool. Yeah, I know. You know, when you and I last ran into each other, uh, it was at Take a Bow in Studio City, and you had mentioned to me that you had once written a diet book. Yes, this is my um, secret past. I wrote a diet book probably in 19, sorry, I'm trying to think, uh, oh, maybe 89, 90, kind of in that range. Um it, was, it came about in a very funny way, which was uh, one of my best friends and I were sitting at dinner one night and said, we should collaborate on something together. It would be a lot of fun. What do we know anything about? And we sat there thinking and we thought, well, uh, both of us kind of simultaneously said, well, we spent a lot of time thinking about our weight and how to lose weight. <laughs> and we said, well, let's write a diet book. And we thought, let's do a diet book that is about all the stuff that really is kind of not PC and not necessarily, it's the kind of stuff that people tell each other that um, is, you know, some of it is silly and ridiculous, but like um, just eat sugar-free jello. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we were not going to we weren't saying, "Hey, look, this is the healthiest way to lose weight." This was like this is the way people actually lose weight and this is if you ask your friends, "Oh god, I really am dying to lose 5 pounds." And they say, "Look, just eat um apple cider vinegar for the next 3 days and you'll fit in your that dress you need to wear." Um so that's, and, and it was, um, 
it was in a sense a sort of girlfriend's guide to dieting. The the anecdotal folklore of dieting and we made some attempt too to to tell people stuff that you know it, it, the hard truths such as it's really good and important to exercise but it actually isn't a fast track to losing weight um not to discourage you from exercising but just to understand that ultimately you know, you can run four miles, but if you eat a Snicker bar, it's basically evening out. Yeah. You know, I think some people, you know, unfortunately exercise, you, you, you can often miscalculate how much it's, how many calories it's burning up. So it was that kind of stuff. And we really, we had fun doing it. I think people weren't quite sure what to make of it. But I had fun. I did it in large part because I enjoyed collaborating with my friend, and also it was it was pretty funny. What's um, the book called? It's called The Skinny, and the subtitle is Everything. Uh, what was it? Everything thin women know about dieting but won't tell you, or something along those lines. That sounds like it would do really well today. You know what? I think we were ahead of our time, and. I also think that the tone was a little confusing because sometimes it sounded facetious, but for instance, if you're on an airplane and they serve you a meal and you're trying not to eat the dessert and you don't have great willpower, so this was my friend's suggestion, which is open the salt and pepper and pour it all over the dessert and then you won't eat it because it's not going to be appetizing and you know you might say oh my god that's ridiculous but it's also effective yeah and it you know it's kind of I mean actually I think that's sort of a good piece of advice frankly but I think some people couldn't quite figure out whether we were kidding or we were serious um and the truth is we were probably both simultaneously, because the world is filled with lots of things to worry about that are more um, important and concerning than your weight. At the same time, people think a lot about their weight. And much as I sometimes am sad to think of this, I feel really different if I feel like I'm at the weight I like versus when I'm not. What can I say? You know, some people might feel that way about when their hair looks good. Um, I, I feel that way about my hair as well. But I just mean that it, it has a, it, its effect on the way you feel about yourself is real. Whether, and you might say, well, that's silly, it's foolish um, to care, but until anyone uh, can change the way the human psyche operates, I think all of us have aspects of our physical self that make our moods, affect our moods a lot. Would you say that writing that book, The Skinny, changed your attitude about dieting at all? Or do you think it strengthened it? Or do you think it 
remain the same? I think that it was a period in my life where I, I probably had, I, I spent probably too much time thinking about being thin and it, it may have been that after I wrote the book, there were all sorts of reasons that, uh, including just generally being happier, that I was less focused on, on that. Um, and maybe the book also helped me sort of exercise some of what was on my mind. But it, it um, yeah, I would say that that's true. But I, I also think that the timing of it coincided with other stuff that was, I mean, I was in the run up to getting divorced and that for many people is not the happiest time in their life. Yeah. Do you have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. I know that a lot of writers have rituals around writing and I'm wondering if you have any when it comes to food. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I... I don't have any really pronounced rituals about food. I, I think that there was a period of time, well, I have a few things and I think this is, I, I feel like I try really hard to eat in a, a different way before sundown and after sundown. Namely, and I don't mean to be sounding like a weirdo, but during the day, I have a certain kind of discipline that feels very specific to me, like not, I mean, for instance, I would never have a glass of wine at lunch. I don't have dessert at lunch. I, I, I have a different way of eating. And then at night, I feel like, well, it's night, it's dinner, it's, you know, I'm more relaxed about it. Um, but I don't have any specific fetishy kind of rituals other than that. I think it's just somehow daylight and nighttime strike me as, as signaling different ways of eating. Got it. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Such a pleasure. It's, a, it's an endlessly interesting topic and you do a great job with it. Thank you. Is there anywhere people can find you other than Twitter, which we already mentioned? Uh, well, Twitter, definitely. And I have a website, which is just susanorlean.com. And in um, fine bookstores near everyone, I hope, um, where my books are available. I'll have links up on theactorsdiet.com. Thank you, Susan. Thanks. Great to talk to you, Lynn. Great to talk to you.